It's good to see all of you uh, this morning. Thankful that the snow is coming tomorrow rather than today. We have all um, heard uh, the saying, seeing is believing, or I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to live in the past when physical miracles were, were seemingly more apparent? I, I, I know, Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things um, not seen. And, and so faith is being convinced of something that we have not yet seen. I, I get that. Uh, believing but not seeing is the definition of faith. But if I were honest, just Scott speaking here, I'd say sometimes I struggle in my faith and it seems like it could be stronger if I could just see, I don't know, just a little. If I could see some miracles, then my faith would grow, my doubts would settle, right? But then I remind myself faith is not seeing. And conversely, and I want you to get this, listen, nor is I mean, seeing is not faith. In fact, seeing does not necessarily produce faith. And so, is seeing believing or not? Any biblical scholar or even rabbi will tell you that the high point of the Old Testament is the Passover and the Exodus. You remember the story. The children of Israel had been in Egypt for some 400 years, much of it in cruel bondage, slavery to the Egyptian Pharaoh and his taskmasters. They cried out to God, and He heard them. He sent a deliverer, Moses. Moses, say his name with reverence. There is no greater hero in the Old Testament than Moses. He showed up wearing a No doubt a big red cape, blue tights, big M on his chest. Moses, Moses, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. I can see it now. Women began to whisper his name. Wives began to say to their husbands, why can't you be more like Moses? First thing he did was let loose some minor miracles with the Israelite leaders. You see, to, to help them believe. You know, no, God really sent me. Here, let me prove it to you. These were no David Copperfield sleight of hand tricks. These were the real deal. He put his hand behind his cape, pulled it out, and, and it was leprous, white as snow. But no problem, he did it again, and it was restored. He threw down his staff, think Thor's hammer, on the ground, and it turned into a snake. The snake. The, the, the leaders cowered in fear, as would I, but Moses bent over and picked it up like it was nothing. Ah, say his name with reverence, Moses. Those were just the pre-show, though. The, 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 the main event began in his battle with Pharaoh. He let loose ten plagues in succession over the next few weeks. These were incredible and unbelievable if you had not seen it with your own eyes. Nationwide instantaneous events. He turned the Nile uh, into, into blood. Then, I love this one. He made frogs. Why frogs? Why not snakes? Frogs uh, to appear to cover the land. In, in, a, in a summer evening um, at our house, uh, our sidewalk uh, in the evening will attract a toad or two. My girls occasionally will walk out and scream, you know, like girls. Um, 
I, I, I know that's, but they do. They sound like girls. Um, imagine the land covered with them. Oh, and he was just beginning. He stretched out his mighty hand, muscles rippling, and the land was covered with gnats. Next came pestilence on the cattle, boils on the people. Well, not all the people, not on the Israelites. Then came the hail, followed by the locusts. Then that incredible darkness throughout the land, except in Goshen, where the Israelites lived. Can you imagine what it would have been like to see that? Oh, that's right. You can't see darkness. But, but seeing sure would have been believing, right? Then came the Passover, the death of the firstborn, the high point in Israelite history. Moses gave clear instructions, select a lamb, a spotless lamb, slaughter it at twilight, put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lintel, the, the top board. The, the death angel will come through the land and take the firstborn of every house, even Pharaoh's house. But when he sees the blood on your house, he will pass over. It happened. A death in every house, from the greatest to the least, except where there was blood. Moses then led them out, two million of them, in great victory. <laughs> they even plundered the Egyptians when they left. Got, got rich on the Egypt. They've been doing that ever since. Then God himself appeared in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them. They came to the shores of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army nipping at their heels. No, no problem. The pillar of cloud moved behind them to keep the Egyptians um, at bay while Moses stretched forth his staff over the, the, the Red Sea and it, and it parted. Uh, unbelievable. I, I know. We, we have people telling you, it wasn't the Red Sea, it was a sea, it was just ankle deep water. No, it was unbelievable. If they hadn't seen it with their own eyes, they walked through the middle of it all night long. Then those crazy Egyptians followed, and Moses, ah, Moses, stretched forth his hand again, and the sea drowned Pharaoh and his army in ankle-deep water. The the, the women went out with timbrels and, and dancing. Sing to the Lord, they said, for he is highly exalted, the horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. They believed, you see, because they had seen did you see that? That's incredible. They even liked God, you know, for a bit because of his benefits. Surely seeing such miracles, the Israelites would faithfully believe and follow. Right? Wouldn't you? Seeing is believing. But the very next verses, after the one I just read, says this. Then Moses, Moses, led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. So the people grumbled at Moses. Now say his name with a little less reverence, saying, what shall we drink? Wow, that happened quickly. Whatever happened to Moses? Whatever happened to seeing is believing. You know the story. Moses threw a tree into the water and it was made sweet or drinkable. So, 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 so we're good now, right? Not exactly. It gets a bit worse. The very next 
chapter says, Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, appropriately named, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. It had been less than two months. whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled. Catching a theme here? Grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. I need you to think about that for just a moment. When they were grumbling against Moses, who were they actually grumbling against? So when you grumble, sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by, I love this, the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You're you're going to starve us to death, Moses. Are you kidding? After all God had done for them in delivering them from bondage, slavery, would that we had died. Now now they want to go back to their old way of life. Would that we were sitting by those meat pots. Sounds savory. They want to go back to their old way of life. You know the rest of the story. This is when God provided manna from heaven. For 40 years and meat in the form of quail. Not only that, remember their clothes and shoes did not wear out. (laughs) Well, that's got to be it, right? Next chapter. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages, by their tribes, I suppose, from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And And there was no water for the people to drink, you know, like just a few days ago, but that's no problem, right? Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? People thirsted there for water. They grumbled against Moses, read the Lord. And said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? First, we're going to die of hunger. Now we're going to die of thirst, big babies. You know the rest of the story. This is where God told Moses to strike, strike the rock with the staff. You know that staff that he had been using to perform all of those incredible miracles. And, And amazing water gushed forth, water from the rock. Remember that text goes on. He named the place Masa. That means test and Meribah, which means quarrel, because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us? What? Hadn't he proven that over and over with all of these amazing physical uh, miracles? How could they not believe? Let's throw the clock forward a a few more months. We're past Mount Sinai now when God 
gave them the law, you know, from that smoking, thundering, quaking mountain, fairly significant, were past when they built that golden calf. Behold the God who brought you from Egypt. Now we're at the edge of the promised land. Hallelujah. It's been a rough journey, but what's a little grumbling and idolatry among friends? But now they are on the precipice of, uh, of entering the land of promise, uh, the, the land that God promised over 400 years, actually more than that, 700 years ago to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This, this has got to be it, right? Honor, glory, rest, Numbers 13. Moses sent out 12 spies into the land on a reconnaissance mission. They came back with a mixed report. Oh, yes, they said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. Honey, check out this cluster of grapes. It took two men, the two guys to carry it back. So Caleb says, let's go. Let's take the land. It's, all, it's ours. God will give it to us. But, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. <laughs> you guys remember Egypt, the world power at the time? So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, I love what they say. The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There are giants in the land. They also saw the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. They will squash us like bugs. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Make up your mind. First it was hunger, then it's thirst, now it's the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it, listen, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Let's quit this journey that we're on and go back. Whatever happened to entering the rest that God had promised in the land of Canaan? Whatever happened to seeing is believing. Whatever happened to believing, to, to trust. Please notice what is going on here. Moses, the, the, their great leader, the Old Testament leader, had led them well, right to the border of promised rest. God had done amazing, miraculous signs, miracles. This was the high point of the Old Testament, the Passover and the Exodus. The land was theirs for the taking. It simply required a little faith in God. And they had, they'd seen enough, right? That's all they needed. If I could just see just a little, they'd seen enough to believe. And they said, no. Let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt, to our old way of life. So at this point, God is about to wipe them out, the whole kit and caboodle of them, for their sin, their unbelief, the rejection of Him, 
Start over with Moses and his descendants. Forget about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Moses intercedes for them and says, but what, God, what about your promise? What, the nations around will hear. And we read these words in Numbers 14. So the Lord said, okay, I have pardoned them according to your word. I'm not going to kill them now. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Do not miss that their lack of obedience, their lack of faith did not put God's glory on display. It distracted, detracted from it. Surely, as a consequence, all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, they saw my, my miracles, which I performed in, in Egypt and in the wilderness. Yet, yet they have put me to, to the test these ten times that have not listened to my voice. They haven't believed. They shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those, not just the men, the women too, not any of those who spurned me, they will not see it. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Don't miss that grumbling and complaining about your circumstances is ultimately directed toward God. It is a lack of faith. It is a lack of trust. It's why the New Testament says over and over, believers are thankful people. Don't gr be thankful. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, I'm going to speak in your hearing right now. Surely, I'll do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you will not come into this land, which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. I always like to stop here and say, there were 12 spies that went in. We know Joshua and Caleb. Can you name a single other one? They, they, they've disappeared in obscurity. Your children, however, you know, the ones that you said were going to be prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness, according to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days. Every day you shall bear guilt for a year. In other words, 40 years. That's why they were there in the wilderness for 40 years, because they spent 40 days in the land. And you will know my opposition. That is ominous. I will oppose you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this evil congregation who, have, who are gathered again, together against me. In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. And die they did. Someone did the math. I verified it. If the men over 20 at this time numbered 600,000, and they did, we have a census. And if the women over 20 were about the same number, listen, then every day for the next 40 years, 38 years actually, the children of Israel averaged every day 90 funerals. Their corpses dropped like flies in the wilderness because they had seen it all, they had heard it all, 
and they did not believe and died in unbelief. I want you to think about that. When things were good, when they had seen the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea, when there was water to drink and their bellies were full, they were good. But their faith was weak, actually non-existent. Their eyes were on their circumstances, not on God. And when things were good, they, they said, yay, Yahweh, Yahweh, He's our man, or He's our God. When things got tough, they wanted to quit and go back to Egypt. You see, they had their eyes on their circumstances, on what God could do for them. God, if you'll give me what I want, I'll like you. And their eyes were not on God. And as a, re- a result, God said, you will never enter my rest. Psalm 95 references this period of time in the life of Israel. It is a call, it's a call to the readers then in Psalm 95 to not follow the way of their ancestors, to remember. Listen to what it says. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, grumbling, as in the day of Massad, testing in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though, th- though they had seen my work, they had seen it with their own eyes. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart, and therefore, uh, in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger. That's interesting to me. Every once in a while we hear, God's not angry. Read the Bible. I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter my rest. It was a warning to the people of Israel at that time. This is four or five hundred years later, after they had wandered in the wilderness. Don't provoke God. You've seen His work. Don't be like your forefathers. Do not turn back. Well, now let's roll the clock forward another thousand years to the time of Christ. When Jesus came, He too too came with great miracles. They were, in fact, undeniable. Healed the sick, calmed storms, raised the dead. He fed people in the wilderness, 5,000 of them, men alone, with a little boy's lunch. Not, Not only that, He came to deliver. He too was a deliverer. He came to deliver people from their bondage, their bondage to sin, and to lead them to the land of promise, to heaven itself. And and his people were to follow in faith and thanksgiving without grumbling. I want you to understand the New Testament clearly makes an intentional connection, comparing the New Testament people of God, the church, to the Old Testament people, and to the Passover and the Exodus. You see, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus came to lead a new Exodus, a new people, out. Consider these verses. Luke chapter 9, it's at the Mount of Transfiguration. Behold, two men were talking with Jesus, and and, and they were Moses. Of course it was Moses. And and Elijah, who appearing in in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Very interesting, the the Greek word for departure is exodus. Not convinced. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 writing to a church, the New Testament people of God, Paul says, for Christ our Passover has been 
sacrificed. We know that Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But, but here clearly Paul says that he is the Passover Lamb, sacrificed, so that when the blood, his blood is applied, God's judgment of sin will pass over us. Further, 1 Peter chapter 1 speaks of Jesus as a lamb unblemished and spotless. Does that sound familiar? The blood of Christ cleansing His people clearly is an allusion to the Passover lamb. Look also at 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about the Exodus there. That's the context. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and, and they all ate the same spiritual food. That's kind of interesting. They all ate manna, spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. When he struck the rock and water gushed out, it was spiritual water that fed them. The rock was Christ who would be struck, you see. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things, everything that I just recounted in a very long introduction, these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. You want your meat pots, bread to the full? You want that prosperity garbage that's going on out there? Or you take your eyes off of God and put them on your circumstances? What happens when you don't get your circumstances the way you want them? Examples to us. In fact, we have seen all the Old Testament was written for us. Hebrews reminds us that all of the Old Testament was pointing actually to Christ. As such, all the Old Testament is a picture of our great high priest to come. And since the Old Testament was a shadow of things to come, a a type pointing to the ultimate fulfillment in Christ, the author proves that Jesus was superior to everything that the Old Testament had to offer. We've already seen, for example, that Jesus was superior to the angels who were thought to have mediated the Old Covenant. Last week, we saw that Jesus was even superior to Moses, the the great Old Testament hero. He's greater, remember, because while Moses was in the house, that is, part of the people of God, Jesus was the builder of the house. And while Moses was a servant in the house, Jesus was a son over the house. Jesus is infinitely greater than Moses. Say Jesus' name with reverence. We also remember the readers of this letter were considering quitting and returning to Egypt, to their old way of life. Oh, the the gospel sounded good. It sounded wonderful and glorious. And and they had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, the promised Christ to come. He would deliver them from their bondage to sin. He would would lead them to the land of promise, the joys of heaven itself, and the presence of God. And they gladly received the message. Isn't he wonderful? It's great. This is wonderful. But then the going got tough. You see, there are challenges in the Christian life. Dare I say dare I suggest, contrary to much of the garbage that you will hear today, we are in the wilderness, and there are tough times. We don't always get what we want. 
we will even be opposed for our faith. I want you to understand, we are in our exodus. We are on our way out as we follow Christ. So, should we go back to what we had if the following gets tough as if that were better? So the author says, why would you go back? Jesus in the new covenant he brought is infinitely greater than the angels in the old covenant. They mediated. Why, why would you go back? If Jesus is greater than Moses, and he is, and the house he is building, of which you are a part, is greater, why, why would you go back? Because the going has gotten tough? Because there have been some trials and testings that God allows, in fact, God brings to mature us and prove the reality of our faith? And you will allow these same trials and testings to cause you to desert, to leave? No, brothers and sisters, we cannot do this. Listen very carefully. If God was provoked when the children of Israel wanted to quit and go back to Egypt, even though led by Moses... How much more do you think he will be provoked if you desert his son? That's not very nice. I'm pleading with you to not quit. We must persevere. We must not allow our hearts to be hardened. We must not fall back into sin. We must hold fast our confession of faith. And by the way, we need each other to do that. Yes, I have largely preached my sermon. But now let's read the text. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. With all of that as a massive introduction, see if when we read it, it now does not make sense. Last week, we saw Jesus is infinitely greater. You can relax. I'm done preaching. Oh, close. Jesus is infinitely greater than even Moses. Red cape, big M. We, we are His house, living stones that Jesus is building, if we hold fast our confidence, the boast of our faith firm to the end. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, just as the Holy Spirit says, stop right there just for a moment. He's going to go on, as He often does, to quote an Old Testament psalm, a passage. But, but notice how He starts. Just as the Holy Spirit says, two critically Important things to notice. First, he is suggesting here that the Old Testament, indeed the entire Scripture, is the Word of God inspired by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says. He's going to quote a psalm. It's written by David or somebody. The Holy Spirit. And we remember the words of 2 Peter chapter 1, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It's not like these guys woke up one morning and said, I think I'll write some Bible. Nope. The men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Do you see the Spirit, I mean, the Scripture was written by men, inspired by, moved by the Holy Spirit, and therefore it is fully trustworthy. So the author says, quoting an Old Testament passage, the Holy Spirit Yes, I know a man wrote it, but the Holy Spirit says, that leads to the second thing, notice the present tense says, not said. 
This text he quotes was written a thousand years before, but he writes the Holy Spirit says right now, because God's word we will find in the next chapter is living and active and is as relevant to his readers then as the readers a thousand years before. Oh, and by the way, it is as relevant to us today as 2,000 years ago when this chapter in Hebrews was written. So what then does the Holy Spirit have to say to us today? Therefore, the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works. They saw them for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my Rest, stop right there. This should sound familiar. That's Psalm 95, written as an encouragement and a warning to the readers of the psalm a thousand years before he, he quotes it. It written as a warning and encouragement to the readers of Hebrews and written as a warning and encouragement to us. Hebrew readers, I, I, I know that going has gotten tough. I know that some have quit and returned to Egypt. Don't do it. Don't harden your hearts and, and thereby provoke God. He was angry with that generation and their corpses fell in the wilderness. So, so listen, don't do it. If he was angry when they rejected the servant in the house, how much more angry will he be if you reject his son over the house? That's what he's saying. Don't do it. He swore to them and he swears to us to do so. If you quit, you will not enter his heavenly rest. Let's continue Verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Take care, brothers, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. I love that. When we were in yesterday, what day was it today? When we're in today, what day is it today? What day is it tomorrow? Today. That means we just keep on doing it. Encourage each other every day so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For... We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. He said that back in verse 6. We'll look at that more closely next week. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. And then in verses 16, 17, and 18, he asks three questions and answers them with three questions. It's brilliant. For who provoked him, God, when they had heard? Indeed, here's the answer, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Second question, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Answer, was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Question number three, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Question, answer, was it not those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. This is incredible to me. They had seen it all. They had heard it all. Do you ever stop to think, you know, I, I think I'm, my faith would be stronger if I could just see a little. They had seen it all. They had heard it all. And they did not enter his rest because of unbelief. The warning, brothers and sisters, do not do the same. Do, do not do the same. There's much more truth that we will cover I told Daniel that I was going to cover verses 7 to 19. I did, did in a manner of speaking. But there's way too much good stuff here to hurry through, especially, listen carefully, 
I'm done. Especially when we are talking about not falling short of the prize of our heavenly calling. My brothers and sisters, I'm encouraging you. I'm pleading with you. I I love you. Persevere. Do not quit. Christ is greater than Moses. He will lead us all the way to the heavenly promised land if we remain in faithful belief. Stand for prayer. Father, this is the second of five very severe warnings in the book of Hebrews. And I know many people right now are saying, but I I thought we couldn't lose our salvation. And that's true, we can't. But we prove the reality of our faith by staying faithful in belief, firm to the end. So Father, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is that they would remain, that they'd not quit, that they'd not go back to their old way of life, that they'd not go back to Egypt, that you would keep them faithfully committed to Jesus and his gospel. In his name we pray, amen.